Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome everyone to Oki Investigations. <laughs> oh, my name is Trevor Shelby. The spooky times are here. And that means we're telling haunted stories once again. But seriously folks, thank you all for joining us for the 2021 spooky time episodes. These are so much fun. Uh, it's October, and I'm ready to tell just a few more spooky stories from my home state, and in this case, elsewhere. But before we get to the story, let's talk about me, shall we? I'm an Oklahoman who loves to investigate crimes that's happened in my state and across the United States. The stories that are featured on this show are true stories. The narrative of each episode comes from extensive research through police reports, trial notes, appeals, personal counts, news reports, and much, much more. Opinions on the show should be taken as such. For more information on each story, join us on our webpage at truecrime.blog, where you'll see some of the cool things that we've gathered while researching this show. In this case, you will actually get to see the original accounts of each story. Make sure you check us out at truecrime.blog and our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Oki Investigations. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This week I've been doing some entertaining research on paranormal activities. And one of the things I stumbled upon with researching these stories is one topic that comes up quite a bit, which is haunted prisons. When I think about haunted prisons, I never really look at it from the standpoint of what it must be like to live in a supposedly haunted place and could do nothing about it. In all the books and movies that I've read or seen, the main characters who lived in those haunted houses would leave the house to get away from the ghosts. But that's kind of hard to do when you're, you know, stuck in prison. <laughs> so today we're telling four original ghost stories of varying levels of frightfulness. You be the judge on what's real or not. If you want to see the original newspaper clippings of these stories, this is how they were reported back then, make sure you stop by truecrime.blog and you can check those out there. Now, these are actually pretty old stories, each of them over 100 years easily. They range from 1875 to 1909. So some pretty, pretty cool stuff here. The first story we're going to do is the Four Courts Ghost Story. This originally appeared in the St. Louis Globe Democrat 
on August 29th, 1897. Prisoners say they see specters on the gallows every night. Some of Jailer Wagner's prisoners report that ghosts nightly haunt the old gloomy gallows in the southwestern corner of the jail yard. According to them, the specters, three in number, make their visits promptly at midnight, and after ascending the steps leading to the trap on the gallows, look around in bewildered manner and suddenly vanish. The three are dressed in black Prince Albert suits with white shirts, turned-down collars, black neckties, and all wear patent leather shoes. Two of them make their appearance in the jail yard about 10 o'clock. First, they walk under the gallows, look up to the roof of the rudely built structure, the rings to which the ropes are fastened, and then they pick up the trap, which, when not in use, hangs down in the death-dealing hatchway. After raising and dropping the trap door a few times, they walk from under the gallows towards the door leading to the morgue. Here they stop, look at each other a minute or two, and then bow their heads as though in solemn prayer. Finished in this, they clasp each other's hands, gants towards the cells in the yard building, and then walk across the yard to the plank walk leading from the door through which all condemned murderers pass on the way to the gallows. Hand in hand, they proceed slowly along the plank of the gallows. All of this occupies about two hours' time. And as the tower clocks in the town can be heard striking the hour of twelve, another object, dressed in black, with small black studs in the front of the white shirt, suddenly appears. The first two are seemingly holding a conversation in low tones on the gallows when this third object, with cords binding its arms and legs, walks slowly along the plank to the gallows. After reaching there, the last one kneels down on the platform. The other two stand with bowed heads close beside, with terrible expressions on their faces. Suddenly, the last one arises, and the three step forward. Deep moans as though someone was in pain are heard a rope at the end of which is dangling a noose, swings from the roof of the gallows. There's suddenly a flash, and all disappears. This has been going on nightly for over a week, says several of the prisoners. The first time to speak of it to the guards was John Thomas Schultz, who was awaiting trial for the murder of his sweetheart, Annie Thomas Schultz. Friday night called Chief Night Guard Sam Murray to his cell, and with a look of wild excitement in his face, begged to be changed from his cell. Number 37 on the first tier in the southern part of the building to one of the opposite side of the place. 
I cannot sleep at night, he told Murray, on account of the ghost in the yard. If I fall asleep early in the evening, I'm awakened by a ringing noise in my ears about ten o'clock. When I go to my cell window, I see two ghosts, and no matter how hard I try to get away from there, I cannot. I fear that my end will be on the gallows, and I am sure that the three objects which put in an appearance at twelve o'clock go through what I must experience. Guard Murray thought no more of Thomas Schultz's story until, in making his rounds, he was stopped by Lee Shelton, alias Stack Lee, who is charged with murdering William Lyons on Christmas Day, 1895. Shelton told about the same story as Thomas Schultz and begged to be changed from the cell he now occupies. He said that his cellmates had also seen these specters and that none of them could sleep at night from the fright. Henry Clay, alias Peggy, charged with the murder of Chronicle Red, a newsboy, also claims to have seen the objects and Friday night as guards Robbins and Neltz were making their rounds in the bull ring, Clay kept up a continual howl to them to look out and see them. They looked, but could see nothing. Jailer Wagner will probably transfer the frightened prisoners to other cells, as they were the ones who started the recent riots. Detective Williams and Gaffney visited the jail yard last night to arrest the specters if they would put on an appearance but nothing wrong was visible. Now, I think this is a, actually a pretty neat story, even though I've worked in a jail before, so I kind of got an idea that these inmates are up to no good. I do feel like maybe they did see something. It's kind of, I don't know. Either way, I think it's pretty neat. Um, I do like the uh, little tidbit at the end, how they had officers actually down there waiting for the ghosts to arrive so they could then arrest them. I don't believe they were able to because they did not call the right Ghostbusters. Now we're going to move to our next story titled Ghosts Scare Prisoners. This takes place in Washington, Indiana on December 23rd and was originally reported by the Belford Daily Mail on December 24th, 1909. Washington, Indiana, December 23rd. According to Sheriff Colbert and his prisoners, the Davies County Jail is haunted by ghosts that produce terrifying sounds. Cells on two floors of the jail extend the full length of the building to the right, with an extra cell fronting on the third street, which is used as the women's ward. It was in this cell that Steve Cole, the murderer of his cousin, says he heard the ghost every night he was in jail. Sheriff Colbert says that time and time again he's been awakened in the night usually between the hours of midnight and one, by his prisoners calling for him. 
The haunted part of the jail is on the second floor. In a cell on the floor, two men and one woman have hanged themselves in the last ten years. And the ghosts of these three unfortunates are supposed by the prisoners to visit the jail. Strange noises seemingly coming from the cells. The sound of a man snoring first reaches the frightened men's ears. Then comes the sound of a man strangling to death. The death rattle completes the mysterious noise. And then all is quiet. However, the preliminary sounds what attract the attention of the inmates of the jail. The huge iron cage opening from the hall to the cell corridor rattles and then follows a clanging if all the cell doors on the floor are being forced off their hinges. By this time, the prisoners are fully awake. The strangling noises furnish enough fright to cause the men to call for the jailer. Steve Cole described these sounds before he was taken to Michigan City. He said that Friday night last, he was awakened by the cage rattling and then the shaking of the cell doors. He was on the second floor and got out of bed thinking the sheriff was putting someone to cell. He looked out, but all was quiet. Soon after, the rattling door sounds came from a cell near him. He said they were so realistic he could almost see a man in the cell choking to death. Though he had heard the sounds before, he was unable to go to sleep again and lay awake for the rest of the night. Colt was one of many to tell the same story of the haunted gel. Each of the three suicides died a slow death by strangulation, using their towels for that purpose. The Davies County Jail was built a number of years ago. John McGregor, Lake County Commissioner of Marion County, was the contractor. It is a substantial brick building, but the heating apparatus is out of date. It is asserted by scoffers that the strange noises are due to the water in the pipes of the heating plant, but prisoners say the noises have been heard at times of the year when there was no water in the pipes. The correspondent sat in the dimly lit corridor of the jail late Saturday night, while Steve Cole told of the murder he had committed when he shot his cousin, George Cole, in the back with a rifle. Following the narrative of the murder came his vivid description of the haunted jail, in which altogether he had spent about 60 nights. Many of these nights, his sleep was disturbed by the ghosts. It is not improbable that the noises however they are produced, contributed to his confession, and his conscience was at the breaking point many times in these alleged nightly visitations of ghosts of other criminals told on his power of endurance. Ghosts or no ghosts, it is not an inviting place to stay the night. At the conclusion of Cole's story, the correspondent was glad to seek the fresh air.
So this one's pretty interesting because it, it comes with a a uh, a reasonable you know explanation, but then the prisoner's like, yeah, no, no, we've we've seen the pipes empty before too, and uh, it does the same thing. So that's pretty interesting. That's a good one. I do like the notion also in this story that this annoyance at night, this this death rattle and choking sounds and rattling of cages is like partially responsible for this inmate to be confessing to shooting his cousin because he just couldn't stand it anymore. Okay, so our next story is called A Prison Ghost. This one was written in 1902 by author C.B. Lewis, and it first appeared in the Daily Republican Register in Mount Carmel, Illinois, on October 8th, 1902. This was kind of written more like an actual story, so this one's pretty well written and quite enjoyable. Most of the men who saw the prison ghosts are still living. And there are two or three other reasons why I should not give the exact location. When I was a warden's secretary at a model prison, supposed to be made perfect by a new warden put in to abolish cruelty, I had no doubt that he was doing as he pretended. There was a convict number 8224 down on the books as James K. Jones serving a term for burglary. One day, notwithstanding the abolishment of such punishments, he was flogged. The warden had been appointed on the recommendation of a hundred influential men, several of whom were clergymen, for the express purpose of reforming the prison. Yet, here was a clear case of flogging. Jones's record consisted of naught but black marks. He was reported as lazy, defiant, impulsive, and dangerous, and for a portion of the time he had been in chains and on bread and water. There were no reports against him under the new warden, and yet he had received a cruel flogging. I could not make it out and dare not ask my chief for a explanation. It was none of my affair, but I determined to have a talk with Jones himself, and after three or four days, the opportunity came. I found him to be a physical wreck. He told me that when he entered the prison, he was a man of 30 in the best health, and had a magnificent physique. At 36, his hair was gray, his back bent, and he looked like a man of 60. He had been paddled or flogged over 30 times. He had been struck, kicked, and cuffed times without number. He had lain in the dark cell for months at a time, and for months his diet had only been bread and water. Jones was ready enough to give the reason. He denied the burglary and declared that he had been wrongfully convicted. He was a man of hot temper, and when he arrived at the prison, he was rebellious. He was flogged on the second day, 
and from that time, all officials were down on him. He declared that he was deliberately nagged and provoked into defiance, and that the idea seemed to be to hound him to his death. When the new warden came, Jones hoped for fair treatment, but was disappointed. The new head was down on him from the first day and sought for pretexts to administer punishment. If the convict statements were to be believed, then the warden had a streak of cruelty in his nature unsuspected by his friends. And I made up my mind to watch, wait, and say nothing. I never got to speak with Jones again, but I knew what happened. Without a single report being entered against him, he was flogged, doused with cold water, loaded with chains, and confined to the dark cell. The guards nagged and provoked and hounded him, and the warden himself handled the cat nine tails and delighted in the punishment. I knew this only after the convict's death, or I should have left my station and reported the facts to the governor. One day I was ordered to fill in and record a report of Jones's death. The blank bore the report and signature of the prison doctor. He gave the cause of death as heart trouble, but I came to know that afterwards that Jones had died under his last flogging. Not half a dozen men were in the prison knew of his demise, though it brought about a great changes. Two nights after the death, the warden was aroused from his sleep to see Jones standing before him, loaded down with chains. He sprang out of bed and clutched at space. On the next night, as the two guards who had pounded the convict were on duty in the wing, Jones walked out of his open cell and paced up and down the corridor for ten minutes in full sight of them. On the next night, the ghost promenaded around the prison yard, and on the fourth, he appeared in the prison kitchen and drove out the bakers. More pains were taken to suppress knowledge of this ghost from reaching the public than I can tell you of and only a few things leaked out. But for a month or more, the prison was upset every night. The thing walked abroad and entered the warden's bedroom. It sauntered up and down the corridors and promenaded the yards and passed through iron gates as if they had been paper. The guards fired at it and clutched at it and turned the hose on it but it could not be squelched. By and by, the story that the warden had flogged Jones to death with his own hand was known to every convict there, and there were 2,890 of them. Each one believed it. Each one believed that the ghost would seek an awful vengeance. This fear bred panic and mutiny. At last word was sent to the warden, that if he did not resign and take the two particular guards with him, every convict would refuse to leave his cell. Such an event would have caused a public excitement. 
all over the state in a day, and an investigation might have resulted disastrously. The warden hadn't the backbone to stand up to it. He returned word that he would give up his place. As a matter of fact, he resigned within a month and died a year later. The two guards went with him, but what became of them, I do not know. I do know that after the trio left, the ghost was seen no more. Released prisoners gossiped when they got outside, but their tales were only laughed at. It is a fact, nevertheless, that there was a ghost and that it was seen by a score of guards and turnkeys. And if the warden had not solved the problem by resigning, every one of the underofficials would have walked out and left him to fight a prison mutiny single-handed. This story is pretty interesting because the... Warden takes over to do some prison reform, but yet he just steps into the old ways and just keeps flogging this prisoner. So when the prisoner dies, he comes back and it frightens everybody so much that they demand that warden to leave, and he does. It's also one of those stories that's like this inmate was being wronged and they ended up killing him. And so that kind of come back to bite them when he returned as a ghost. Now we have one more story. Uh, But this one you'll be able to read over at truecrime.blog. It's a ghost story that first appeared in the New York Times on March 11th, 1875. Now the whole story can be read over at truecrime.blog. I'm not going to recount everything on this one. This is about a ghost named John W. Avery, who has returned in his ghostly form to haunt the Hackensack, New Jersey jail. Avery is seen first by the inmates, and when they raise alarm about this ghostly appearance, the guards think that they're trying to plot some kind of clever ruse to escape, but then they too see the ghost. Uh, the ghost reportedly goes through the cells and the corridors, lights up the whole building, and then re-enters his old cell. Actually gets comfortable in there for a while. Uh, there is a very kind of humorous article. This was, the, the original article was posted in the New York Times, and there was like a follow-up article in the Sacramento Bee that was published that was kind of funny, the way it, it kind of reads. It says, the Times published an account of the appearance of ghost John W. Avery, who was hanged there for murder on June 28, 1872. It says, the ghost appeared on Sunday night and pulled the clothes off the prisoners. It opened and entered Avery's old cell and made itself generally comfortable for some time. Great consideration prevails among the prisoners, several of whom verify this story. So if you want to read this entire story of um, clothes being ripped off and a ghost roaming around, uh, you can go ahead and visit us at truecrime.blog. Read that one there. 
This has been a lot of fun researching these ghostly stories. This is probably one of my favorite times of the year. We get to mix things up. We get to change things around. Uh, not everything is doom and gloom murder here for sure. Anyways, guys, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It helps us out a whole lot more than you know. And I will see you guys next time. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.